Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. Good morning, everyone. I am Janice Leibovitz, and you are our People of the Book. I am absolutely thrilled and extremely excited. Bit of a fangirl moment here to have an in-studio guest with me this morning. James Hendry, and uh, many of you might remember James's book. I think it was back in 2011. Um, I think it was. It was, I think. A Year in the Wild, followed up in 2013 by Back to the Wild. Back to the Bush. Back to the Bush, yes. sorry. Back Another to the Bush. year in the wild. Another year in the wild. And at the time, I was in a book club back in the day mm-hmm. when I did book clubs, and... They were most definitely our favorite books. In fact, A Year in the Wild went missing. I think someone absconded (laughs) with it. And we had to hunt down another copy of it because we we had to have a copy in the book club. It was most definitely our favorite book. And every time we got a new member in the book club, that was one of our top recommendations. They had to read this book. It was kind of um, trial by fire. You had to read this book. (laughs) And, um, James, it is an absolute honor and privilege to have you in studio with me this morning. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. And I know that you were also, you had a, um, you were on YouTube, you were part of Safari Live, which I understand you have now departed from. Um, the operation is kind of, uh, reduced and closed down, and so we, I, I do some freelance stuff for them now and then, but yeah, moving into other things. But that final departure yes. clip was, was quite moving and oh, good. and sad. <laughs> it was very sad. <laughs> it was, and, yeah. and you were, you were very emotional yeah. when you, when you recorded that, yeah, very moving. I certainly was. Yes. Um, we'll talk briefly about a year in the wild yeah. and its follow up. Sure. I mean, Absolutely hilarious. Let's not joke. But it had some, some also emotional mm. parts to it as well. How did you come by that? What, the emotion? No, no, the, the, actual, humor, the, 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 the concept, the actual concept. Well, the concept came for a year in the wild came from a friend of mine and I sitting down and saying, how many stories have we sat and heard around a campfire about guests? and lodge goings-on and staff and idiosyncratic human beings that operate in lodges and how many times... I, I thought you were going to say idiot human beings. Well, them too, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure how far I can go. Being polite. Yeah. Um, and how many uh, how many guests had said to us, you guys really need to write a book about these stories, and no one had done it. And so we sat down to do it. Um, and he, unfortunately, couldn't carry on with the project, so I finished it. And that's basically how it came to be. And having worked in a lodge for, oh, by then, seven or eight years, you know, there were hundreds of stories that were just waiting to be told. We really didn't have to think very hard to find them. (laughs) And, of course, there's the the rivalry between the protagonist, his brother. Yes. There's that whole family relationship Mm. that is... is you know, full of yeah. tension and fam- that, that love and the warmth between the family and there's all of that as well, which yes. is very real. It's certainly that's, I mean, that we were both uh, 
so two of us started out writing it and I finished it and both of us are very close with our families and so uh, that wasn't hard to, to develop. Um, I have a brother in real life who's nothing like the brother in those books. <laughs> He's much more like my mate. Um, and yeah, it was just a, it was an interesting way to tell the stories because we did them through email. Obviously we, we wrote, we had the common ground of our sister Julia. Uh, the two brothers did, yes. and we wrote to her an email format every week, a weekly update. Right. And I think what was quite nice about that was that it gave two different perspectives to uh, of some of the same incidents and two different senses of humor. And it, it just came across so well. I'm chatting to my in-studio guest, James Hendry, and more after the break. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I am back with my in-studio guest, James Hendry. If you've got anything you'd like to mention to James, if there's any questions for him, you can SMS us, SMS us on 34519 or send us a message on Telegram, 06189-51019. So, James, we were chatting about your previous two books from 2011, mm-hmm. 2013, but we're not here to discuss those today, although no. obviously we did need to mention them because they were fabulous bestsellers. Um, we're here to chat about your new book, yeah. Reggie and Me. We are. And I, 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 do, I don't have a crystal ball with me. I mm-hmm. left it at home. And I do predict this is going to be just as huge a bestseller, although completely different genre, yeah. completely different um, from your last book's. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking. I found it heartbreaking. I found it quite painful to read at times. Your, your main character, Hamish Charles Sutherland Fraser, is a quirky little boy. Um, is, is he, is he based on anyone in particular? Oh, there are, f- there are a few similarities <laughs> between the author and him, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a bit about the All the good the bits book. are like, all the good are like bits, me all the and good all bits. the bad bits are, not, are made up. <laughs> um, the story is about a I, – I guess it's easier for me to go into the background of it first. So I started off – somebody said to me one day, they said, you've got to write something more meaty because, you know, you need to be taken seriously as a writer. And I – something – I didn't, I'd never thought about it because for me the greatest compliment that I can be paid is I laughed at your book. For me that's the, when I hear that I go read about the face and it makes me really happy that something I've written has made yes. people laugh. And there are laugh out loud yeah. moments in this book. And, and there's such a balance in this book between the painful, yeah. sad, heartbreaking, I mean absolutely heart wrenching mm. moments in this book and the laugh out loud Good. moments. Good. And so I tried to write a non-fiction book, and the idea was to try and write about race, gender, and uh, privilege in South Africa. And the publishers, I got sort of maybe a quarter of the way through, and the publishers said, look, you're not the right guy to write this book. Um, you are, you're from the wrong background. You, it's, you know, you're not a researcher into it. There were a lot of reasons for it, and they said, really, we don't think it will work. And I just, 
one day, it was literally, it, it, I woke up one morning and thought, well, why don't I just write a fiction story set in the same period I want to talk about? Um, and that period was, I was born in 1976, and I matriculated in 1994, and that's a fairly tumultuous period of our country's Absolutely. history. And so I thought, let me write the write a fictional story about this kid growing up in in Johannesburg, privileged white kid growing up in Johannesburg. Um, and he has – he's an interesting character because he does – he's not a um, – although he's uber-privileged, he's odd. You know, he's, a, <laughs> he's very strange in many respects, and he really st- – he has his own struggles. Um, and so that's what the story is about. It's about him growing up in a country that he's – coming to see for what it is and coming to realize for what it is. He's got relatively open-minded parents, but as he's there at pains to tell him, they're not brave enough to lie in front of the bulldozers. Um, they And they make that decision, they make that conscious decision, uh, and he becomes more and more aware of that as he gets older and older. Um, yeah, so it's just a – a, I hope that people will take – I hope that people will laugh for, at it, I hope that they will take some message from it. It was originally much more in your face the messaging, and again, the publishers in their infinite wisdom came to me and said, "Don't stick, shove this up anyone's faces. Let them take what they will from right. it. Just write it. Don't justify anything in it. Just write it and leave the warts on it, and let people take them for what they are." Yes, and I think but, that's. And what there we are did. characters in the book who, who are, I mean, rampant. Racists, rampant yeah. um, protesters, rampant, you know, you've got extremes in the book. Mm. And you've got people who are very middle of the road. Yeah. And who prefer to stay that way. Mm. And you, you've shown, I think, every aspect of society and all, all different manner of, of the spectrum. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that we've got a broad cross section of, of what society was like back then. Um, and I hope that – I really hope that it gives some resonance to all sectors of our population. I hope it makes those who have privilege perhaps become a little bit more aware of it, but in a very light-hearted way. It's not shoving it up anyone's noses. And I hope that um, through Hamish's struggles and his experiences, there's resonance with other members of – you know, other population groups that, so that there is some seed of resonance that – will in some way make a small contribution to breaking down barriers. I have basically. absolutely no doubt there is. Um, speaking of which, I mean, his relationships within his family, mm. his father is his, his main, he seems to be his main role model. Mm. I mean, his father and, and Tina, his, his gogo, mm-hmm. I mean, his, his, um, the, the domestic worker in his home. Yeah. I mean, his father, Stuart, mm-hmm. um, really tries to do his best for his child. I mean, his parents do realize that, that he, he just doesn't fit in. And I'm not sure they realize he's trying to do his best because he, I'm not sh- sure that he actually does do his best at all times. I think sometimes he just doesn't care. But um, his mother, mm-hmm. um, Caroline, she seems to be um, not distant, but she's not fully hands-on. She seems to kind of pat his head and go, there, there, dear, you know. 
not quite as distant as her own mother, mm. who, I mean, the less said the better about her, yes. and people need to read the book <laughs> to, to understand that. Um, but Caroline's quite not as involved as perhaps she should be. And, and I think that was also parenting of that time. Mm. Uh, it's interesting that you say that. She's, uh, Caroline is, um, she's just somebody who really worries about what people think about her. Yes, absolutely. And that, that governs a lot of her behaviors. And it governs a lot of all, uh, all of our behaviors. And she's, the fact that he has two siblings who are much more socially, um, acceptable to their peer groups yes, and, and find a lot it a lot more integrated. Yeah, a lot, lot more integrated. They find it much easier. And I think that the juxtaposition between those two, his younger siblings and him as this oddball, uh, you know, it makes their parents, it gives their parents an indication that their eldest is actually more odd than he, he might seem at home. And um, more quirky right. and more amusing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I am with my in-studio guest, James Henry, and we'll be back after this break. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am back with my in-studio guest, James Henry, and if you have any questions for him, you can SMS them to us on 34519 or send them through on Telegram, 0618951019. And we are chatting about James's new book, Reggie and Me. It's available now in stores, and I really do suggest that you go and get your hands on it. it Me too. It, yeah. <laughs> Imagine that, and I'm <laughs> sure that um, the publisher sitting in the corner there quietly would suggest the same. Yes. And it's, it's really a fabulous book. It's an amazing read about a young boy coming of age between about 1976-1994. Interestingly, when James was growing up in South Africa, Mm, interesting comparison. And it's it's a fabulous read. It's it's I wouldn't say it's non-political politics come into it, but it's not the main theme of the book. This is a theme about a child growing up, it's emotional, it's about what he goes through, and a lot of people will really relate to this. Mm. And I'd even recommend it for for teens. It yeah. would be a great young adult read. And speaking of that, um, Hamish goes to – Hamish is the main character in the book, and Hamish attends a school um, called Trinity, mm-hmm. Trinity College. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm guessing this is based on what would be a combination of – the private um, boys' schools that yeah, exist today exactly. in, in Johannesburg, in South Africa. And bullying is rife. Mm-hmm. And and the, the peer system in the, within the school mm-hmm. with the younger boys kind of serving the older boys and mm. and the punishment system between the, the teachers dishing out, I think it's called hard, hard labor. Hard labor. Yeah. Um, so I, I found that quite difficult <laughs> to deal with. Um, and and the way that the the kids are actually treated by the teachers is, I found that quite. I mean that the teachers are sometimes bigger bullies than the actual kids are. That the, the they really do turn a blind eye to a lot of what yeah. is going on. I think they. I I must state at this juncture that I I really didn't. So I mean, much of the. Punishments that we that are mentioned in that book were, are true to my school experience, 
But I really don't see them. Where I, where, where I went to school, there was no corporal punishment, so we were never beaten. And um, I, that's, that's now against well, the law, Well, now it's against it? the law. Yeah. It wasn't back then. Right, so, I, you know, I remember. Perfectly wasn't, it was perfectly acceptable. Most of my friends who went to other schools were beaten on a regular basis. Um, so the hard labor that you had to do was called hard labor. It was never hard labor. It was basically you had to waste your Friday afternoon, which... I think, certainly for me, it was a very f- effective form of punishment. It wasn't physical torture at all. Um, it was a waste of my time and something that I didn't want to do. Um, it's basically detention. It's detention. It's detention yes. where you are – it's exactly what it is. It's detention where you're cleaning out the, a drain or you know, helping with some maintenance or digging a trench or whatever it is. Um, but the bullying thing is, uh, you know, it's – I. I don't know how much it still goes on. I suspect it probably does go on to a certain extent. I think people are a lot more aware of it now. You know, even but even when I was there, it was a theme amongst new boys that if you were bullied, um, you had people to go to. You know, you went to the older guys in, in the school and you went to teachers. And most of us just didn't. You know, we, we tried to deal with it on our, on our own. Uh, or with the help of older boys. And that often did, you know, was very effective. You know, when you went to a, an older boy and a mentor of sorts, and they would then deal with the bully on their own. Um, the psychology of bullying is, is complicated yes. and it's complex. And I think it's, I would suspect quite strongly that while school authorities are still, v- are, are much more aware of it now and probably much uh, more, uh, able to deal with it. They're probably a lot more skittish about it happening because um, parents are becoming a lot more litigious. They're not. Uh, they're, they're also a lot more involved in their kids' schools than they were back when I was at and school. And also bullying, I think, has, has a lot of it is is taken onto social media. Yeah, it's much That's, more sophisticated it's, yeah, it's than it was. It's much more sophisticated. Yeah. It's being taken yeah. off the playground yeah. onto social yeah. media, and it's it's but quite the, subtle now. Yeah, but those personalities who bullied back then are still in the schools to this day. Absolutely. Um, and I don't think that it's unique to boys' schools. Definitely uh, I think not. it happens in girls' schools. I think it happens everywhere. But it's a it's something that kids have to deal with, yeah. And Definitely. I'm, I'm and, and even now. Having said before that, that I found that, Hamish's mother was quite, as you say, she was more worried about everyone's opinion mm. of her and what people think. And um, whereas she wanted to go marching to the school to complain about everything, mm. his father's reaction was, um, I mean, I'm not being sexist or anything, but quite typically that of a father mm. saying, well, he'll just have to learn how to deal with yeah. it and he'll have to learn how to fight. Yeah. And I mean, Hamish does learn how to deal with it in his own mm. way. Well, he has to. Um, and I, for me, the the reaction of Tina, the domestic worker, yes. is much more interesting because for her, there's no question of social justice in the bullying system. Where she comes from, big kids dominate small kids. Absolutely. And that's just the way it is. And, and I've actually got marked here. I mean, when Caroline, his mother, is so upset yeah. by, by – I mean, she doesn't understand her child. She, she, she just doesn't understand why he is she the way he is. She doesn't understand boys. No. Yeah. 
and and sadly she is a mother of boys for quite mm. some time before her daughter comes yeah. along. And she, she asks Tina, she said, why doesn't he have friends? And Tina's very matter-of-fact mm. about it. And she says, he's not like Roger, who's his younger brother. He doesn't like people. He's not nice to them. Yeah. And so his, a lot of his troubles are of his own making. Absolutely. And a lot of kids who are cast out from the group and mm. who are cast out from the crowd um, are not, they're not people's people. No. And they do not get on with people because they are not nice to people, but then mm. they blame everyone else yeah. for their problems. Yeah. And Hamish was certainly fell into that category. Definitely. Um, and he becomes much more aware of it as his father hammers home again and again and again into his impervious, socially impervious skull that, you know, it can't be the whole world that's, that's wrong. If everybody is telling you the same thing, it's likely there's a little seed of truth in yes. what they're telling and you about. Possibly it might be you it that's the problem. Yeah. But Hamish does find an outlet um, in horse riding. They, yes. His parents try and find an outlet for him. And his mother finds when he's eight years old, mm. which um, I thought was possibly quite young, but she sends him to um, riding camp. Mm. Um, and this is where he finds his outlet from this young age, which carries through till he's quite l- a late teen, yeah. um, along with the fact that he discovers he can sing and he can act. Mm. Um, but his, he, found, he finds his, his main outlet at the Ananda um, Club where he, um, he, he rides. He mm. likes horses. He enjoys that. And he develops an incredible friendship with um, one of the, the grooms there. Yeah. Um, who is an illegal Zimbabwean immigrant yeah. named Colin. And I found that the friendship between the two of them, the relationship, which has a rocky start, mm. um, as, as are Hamish's relationships yes. with most people, and their relationship I found most touching. It was a beautiful relationship. Yeah. And, and Colin was a fa- fabulous character. Yeah. Uh, Colin, in fact, is pretty much uh, an exact replica of the the human being he was um he's passed away now um and he was a i think being zimbabwean he he was much better educated than most black south africans of the time you know he had an o level um yeah. he didn't he couldn't find any work but he had o levels so he was you know he was relatively well educated and so his ability to and he also didn't suffer the um he hadn't suffered as a child as a result of south africans white south africans which means that he didn't come with a there was a a relative openness to him that wasn't available with a lot of other south africans um adult black south africans yes for obvious and very good reasons right so he was just a little bit more open with with hamish than a, a local south african would have been and he was able to take he was able to provide a, um, a mentorship in, in, in many respects, a completely unintentional mentorship to Hamish, because Hamish takes a lot out of his relationship with Colin, Colin yes. obviously, much more than Colin takes out of the relationship. Definitely. But I think Colin understands yeah. that completely. Yes, he does. Yes. Um, and that's, I think that, you know, that relationship is a, is a powerful one. It's a powerful teaching relationship for Hamish, and it helps him to see things that his peers are not seeing because they're not having the same kind of interactions. Right. Yeah. On to the crux of the book. Mm. 
the title of the book is Reggie and Me. Yes. And I have to ask you why you called it Reggie and Me. Because for, I for quite a, you, you didn't. <laughs> no. Oh, who, who titled this book? <laughs> it was titled, a whole lot of us titled it. It okay. wasn't, um, I mean, it, it was originally, the working title was The Tale of Hamish Charles Sutherland Fraser. Which, Quite long. Yes, and long bulky. And bulky and, you know, publish, and if, and if publishers hashtag, know. And if you're using that as a hashtag, yeah, Twitter yeah, is not going to yeah, work I, well. I, I learned very early on that unless it's something really, really desperate that you want to hang on to, you just take publishers' advice. Um, sorry, what you were going to say? Um, the title, Reggie and mm. Me, because for a large part of the book, Reggie is absent. Mm. She's, uh, she's around in the beginning and he, she, she is actually the first person that he befriends. Mm. And for a long time, when they are, are quite young, she's the only friend that he has. And it's quite interesting that, that he befriends a girl, mm. a little girl. I mean, they are mm. really young. And I found that interesting that, that he related to a little girl. And, and then she's gone due to circumstances. She disappears from his life. I'm not going to mm-hmm. give away, I mean, no spoilers here. I'm not going to give away why she disappears from his life, but she does. And for a very large chunk of the book, I'd say for, for a good 60, 65% of the book, if not more, she's not there. She mm. doesn't feature yeah. until she returns. Um, so it's interesting that the book is called Reggie and Me because mm. she's just not there. Um, so why? Why? Um, I think that she teaches. You know, there there are a lot of characters in the book that that teach Hamish things that have a very profound emotional effect on him, and she, the most profound emotional effect a human being can have, or emotional experience a human being can have, short of um, losing a family member, is that of falling in love for the first time, and. It becomes all-consuming for Hamish at at one stage of the book. Yes. Um, and it's almost through her that he he reaches a level of maturity that he probably wouldn't have unless he'd had certainly the latter experience that he'd had with her and some of the earlier ones. But um, I think that he reaches a, a level of maturity through her that would have been wouldn't have been possible without her and it's i think it's quite a catchy title you know it is a catchy title <laughs> yeah it is quite catchy cuz i think in the beginning i was kind of like is Richie a guy is it a girl is it mm. you can you do wonder and it is a catchy title it's a great title mm. i like it and <laughs> great one there mm. and um so Reggie herself i mean is there a possibility of a sequel to this, just by the way? If it sells well, absolutely I'd like to write a sequel. I think that Hamish has got more stories to tell. I think South Africa, 1994 to 99, which is, would have been, his, I guess, his university years, equally tumultuous in South African history. And so there are lots of – there's a nice framework in which to set the story um, – especially for a young white South African becoming aware of the country around him. Uh, and I think there are a lot of characters here that need to be revisited. Yeah, okay. Not just, not just not Hamish. Just I mean, him. I know Hamish is, is our, our main character, yeah. but I think there are some more characters, a lot of yeah. characters in here that need to be revisited. 
Um, I mean, obviously Hamish is, would be our main one, but I think, um, his, his family, mm. for one, Reggie, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I'd actually like to know where some of these bullies land up. <laughs> Strangely <laughs> enough. <laughs> I, I'd like to know it's, where, I, I would like to know where they land up. I really would. It's, I don't know where they would end up. I, I've kind of, I haven't thought about that. I found Reggie, Reggie's a tricky one to write because as a man, it's, and I don't have daughters, obviously, and I don't have, I mean, I'm, I'm getting married in a week, so I don't have. Oh, is it that soon? I didn't realize it was that it's soon. A, Congratulations. It, thank you. It's a, it's a massive, um, it's, it's a big thing to make a female character a main character in a novel like this if you are not very skilled at writing from an opposite perspective. Um, and I, I almost think that's half the reason she disappears during some of the book because it meant that I didn't have to, or I, I, I wouldn't make the mistake of trying to understand her growing up. You know what I mean. But she brought her extent. back. It's such yes. a prominent part of his of, of his life. Of his life. And it's such a sensitive point yeah. where they are at such a pivotal. Yeah. She played a pivotal role. You know, I yeah. mean, she arrives back in time for, I mean, his, his matric dance. Yes. I mean. Yes. A pivotal time. A pivotal time. <laughs> and that's that's, you know. Empathy, sympathy, mm. compassion. She needed to have all of those things. And I mean, you're saying, you know, you, you're not sure how to write that female role. Then. Well, I hope wow. I have. I hope I've you done You did it really okay. well for someone who's claiming not Good. to have known how to do that. I'm, okay. I'm saying I'm scared of doing it. I'm nervous of doing it because it, I, I know that there are authors that you do read when they're writing from the perspective of the opposite sex. Right. And it just doesn't ring true. Um, a great example of the complete opposite of that is, uh, what is J.K. Rowling's, um, uh, Monica? What, what does she call herself? Robert Galbraith. Oh, yes. Um, you know, she writes those detective stories, Cormoran yes. Strike, as, uh, and he is totally believable. He's, I th you can read it as if a man's written it. Right. And so that's, that's her extraordinary brilliance. And so that's the kind of standard you want to set yes. yourself to be able to write from an opposite perspective, and not only as a as a as a woman character, but also to try and do some justice to black experience. Exactly. With it, which in South Africa is a it's it's almost frowned upon, I think, in yes. many respects, for a white person to try right. and take that on, um, with good reason. And so I'm nervous of that, um, and. So that's the real skill of it, and I think that if there is another book, and I hope there will be, the trick will be to try and replicate a believability in characters that are not don't share a similar background to my own. If that makes sense. It does absolutely. Especially in South Africa. And I get yeah. that because I mean I want to know more about Robert, particularly yeah. Robert Gumedi, because um, he was fabulous. I loved yeah. him. He's he's. He's got such mm. chutzpah. Yeah. I mean, he's amazing. I am with my in-studio guest, James Henry, and we would love to hear from you on 34519 
or on 0618951019. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I'm back with my in-studio guest, James Henry, and we are chatting about his new novel, Reggie and Me, which um, I suggest you head out to your nearest bookshop and go and purchase. And if you have anything you would like to ask James, you can SMS us on 34519 or send a message on Telegram 0618951019. James, um, you said you are hoping to write a sequel. We'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. But um, the current book in its form, I mean, how long, what is your writing process? How long did it take to put this together? I mean, I know you said you, you started, then the mm-hmm. publisher said, you know, you... you you need to change this, you need to change that. How long did this actually take? I think that once I had decided to dispense with trying to be a serious writer and accept that I'm, um, and very happily go into try and writing humor, which I think is where my strength lies and I think that's where my, I'm most comfortable. I think it took about two and a half years. Um, it, as a writer in South Africa, you're going to starve to death if you think you're going to survive writing only. Uh, I mean, the one or two who've managed to do it, but the rest of us have to have a day job as well. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, you have limited time, and eventually I was given a deadline, and I found that very helpful. And it eventually, it, I think the last half of the book came out in about eight months. Um, and my process is very mathematical to start with. I'm, I, I literally take a piece of paper, a th- I stick two A4 pieces of paper together. I draw an arc in the way that a story arc goes. So it starts off low down on the page, ends up very high, and then has a sort of slight drop-off before the end. So you reach a denouement or climax, and then a, at close to the end of the book, and then you have 5% to kind of tie it all together. And then I write headings underneath that arc that hopefully build up towards where it's going to be and I find that doing it in a linearly like that helps me to start it never carries on the way it's going going to to say do you you plot your ideas from start to finish and that's it no no and then I mean it's always done in pencil because it's hopeless to do it in a pen because it has to change yes and by the time you get I get to about two-thirds of the way in I actually don't refer to it anymore because in my mind the characters I read once that characters start to take on a life of their own and they start to develop on their own. And I didn't really believe it until I started writing myself, and they do. They they start to take on a path that you didn't foresee for them, and then it all just kind of starts weaving together, and that's basically how it happens. Okay, Robin has asked, um, who are your writing influences? Oh, um, From a humor point of view, there are very few people that really have made me laugh out loud. There was a chap called Pete McCarthy. He's died, unfortunately, uh, who wrote a book called McCarthy's Bar about a trip around Ireland where he went into these bars he named after him. And Sounds like my kind it's of hysterical. Book. It's I love anything Irish. It's absolutely hysterical. Uh, Douglas Adams's Last Chance to See, which was a book about um, ex- creatures going extinct, and he wrote it in a way that really had me doubled over and unable to carry on reading. 
And those, have, from a humor point of view, those two really have had a very strong effect on me. I loved Chris Van Veek's books, um, just brilliant stories of childhood where he managed to infuse humor into a really dark period, you know. That's a real skill. And, yeah, so I suppose those those chaps from a... I, people say, what do you do when you get writer's block? And what I do is I, I often go and read Blackadder scripts. <laughs> they, um, the writing's often silly, but it's brilliant and funny and sarcastic, and it often unlocks something, or Faulty Towers scripts or right. things like that. You, I just download one quickly and, and start reading it. Um, yeah, I guess those are the... Those are the sorts of authors that I... I and I've got a to. message here from Simon mm. who has said he's not sure that he fully understands why he is as engaged with this topic as he is. But in any event, he wants to know, how am I going to get through the book if the main character sounds so difficult to like or empathize with? Oh, I don't think he is. Um, I think what... What, what I've tried to do with him is create a character that will resonate with anybody who's ever... We've all had social struggles, every single human being, from the most nasty, huge bully to the tiniest little weed at school. We've all had our social troubles, and I think you'll see some of those in this kid. But more than that, I've tried to create a balance where there is a certain amount of sympathy for what he goes through because... The circumstances he experiences are not all of his making. And at the other end of the scale, the, you don't want to feel sorry for the guy the whole time. You want to feel a little bit of, um, you want to see that he is responsible for some of his own issues and that he, he needs to, um, own up to those. But I think he is a likable character because he's, he's, He's quite funny. He's blunt. He's socially blunt, which makes him amusing. Yes. And Simon, I just want to add to that and say that you reach a point where you are really, you are championing this, this kid. You are, you are, you want to be Hamish's champion and you are cheering him on eventually and you want him so much to achieve something and everything he go, he sets out to do. You are sitting there going, oh, please let this work out for him. Please <laughs> let this be the time that he doesn't just fall flat on his face. Please let this. And, and every time you find yourself going, please let this be the time. Please, this time. This time. Maybe this time. And you just keep reading. You You can't put it down. I'm not kidding you. And I'm not just saying that because... James is sitting in front of me and the publisher is sitting over there. I'm not just saying it, but really that, that is, mm. he's readable and he is, you, you engage with him. You do engage with him and you engage with, with, you even engage with the people who, who set out to make his life a living hell. You, you just, he's that kind of character. I think he's likable because he tries hard. He does try and he gets up. When he gets smacked to the ground, he gets up again. Every time. Yeah. And that's, that's what's likable about him. He's not, um, he's not a coward. He can be a real ass at times, but he's not a coward. And Most he, of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, he'll, he gets pushed over and stomped on and he gets up every time. And every I think time. that's what's likable about yes, him. Yes. And, and you have to, you have to love that about him. 
even while sometimes you'll think, oh, really? Why would you do that to yourself? And why would you do that to the next person? You, you want this guy to, to achieve something. You want this guy to win. And you, as you are reading the book, you, you just find yourself saying, please, let, let this be the time. Please. Well, I find myself doing that. I mean, I, yes, I do talk to characters in books and I do because I'm just, I'm that kind of person. And we'll be wrapping up with my in-studio guest, James Henry, after this. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm back with my in-studio guest, James Henry. We've been chatting about his latest book, Reggie and Me. And it is available in stores right now. Go and get it. Go and read it. Enjoy it. And we've been chatting about the characters in the book, obviously, the, the concepts of bullying, which, I mean, although this book was written back in the, you know, from the 70s through to the 90s, you know, concepts that still exist today. Mm, for sure. You know, people will relate to them. And... We've been chatting about a possible sequel. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel I'm jumping the gun here. I mean, it's only just been published, but you know, get onto it, luckily. Okay, <laughs> you know, right, what are you right. doing sitting here with yeah, me? You know, right. go out and write the, yeah. the sequel. Um, and we've been chatting about, I mean, Simon asked the question about, you know, how is he going to, to read this book? How is he going to get through the book when the main character seems so unlikable? And I've been saying to James while we were off air, you know, that's when you know that, that you've written a great book when the character does seem unlikable, but you, the reader can't stop reading because you are just so engaged with this character, whether he's likable, unlikable. And I know, I mean, I read a lot of thrillers mm. and when you're reading dark psychological thrillers, a lot of those characters are really awful. Much worse than Hamish. Much worse than Hamish. <laughs> I mean, just on another level, but you know, it's a good book when no matter how awful those characters are, you can't put that book down. Mm. You want to just keep, what are they going to come up with next? Mm. And that's, that's what Hamish is like. Good. You know, he gets up every time without the darkness. Yes. I mean, he does, he does seem to have, I mean, what was that character in, in Charlie Brown who walked around with that, uh, I think yes, Linus, well, yeah, Linus. That's Linus. He yeah. walked around with, with that, that little black rain cloud mm. that followed him around and Hamish mm. seems to be a bit like that. It gives him some depth. You know, he's, he's somebody who, is socially inept but deeply emotional. You know, he feels a he lot. He really does feel. Yeah. He, he's a bit of an empath. Yeah. He really is. Yeah. Uh, but he has no way. He really struggles to express it and to show he cares. Uh, he's too shy. He just doesn't know how to express it. And he doesn't know how to unpack his emotions. And because of that, I think people feel that he's the opposite. They don't mm. know that about exactly. him. Exactly. And they yeah. will never know that about him because he's not going to let on that that is what he's like. And also, you know, and we all go through life experiencing times when we feel that the world doesn't understand us. Uh, and that will have a seed of resonance with Hamish where he feels the world just doesn't understand him when in actual fact he's not making himself understood. Exactly, because he doesn't know how to. No. And... So that will have resonance with people who, you know, from all walks of life, who haven't necessarily had the upbringing that 
young Hamish. Has. Yes, yeah. exactly. But I think you know nowadays the difference between being back then and now they'll quickly whip you off to therapy and say, yes. well, you know, go and see someone. Yes, quite possibly. Yes. Whether that'll do any good or not, I'm not sure. But Who knows? But I, <laughs> I think back then, you know, the teachers were were quicker to just scream at the kid and say, you know. Oh, it was round, round what is it, round peg and square hole. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, I mean, as I say, I felt that the, the teachers were quite, they were quite cruel. And they bullied him just as much, if not more, um, <laughs> than the kids that's, did. That's really interesting that that came across. Um, it wasn't a conscious intention, but uh, I can see how. Yeah, I can see how the that teachers were, especially in They're the harsh. in the young when they when he was yeah. young when they were older. Oh, yeah. um, the the teachers were or well, the masters, the school masters, spoke to them more. They related to them more, yeah. and they were able to to speak to them yeah. on the same level. But when they were young. Mm. I mean, the, the teachers were quite cruel to the younger children. Yeah. And they were sure. quite mean. I mean, when he was late for school. Yes. I mean, you know. It's the humiliation yes. thing. Yeah. Yes. It's like, you know, we need to put these kids in their place. Yeah. We need to get them to understand, you know, where yeah. they, they sit on the totem pole. Mm. The public humiliation. Yes. Yeah. And, and they need to understand that. Yes. Yeah. And as they get older and they have learned their place, as they get older, those teachers, well, different teachers as they Move up through the ranks. Mm. Teachers are able to relate to them more on on a yeah. similar level, and uh, that that was that was great because mm. you know by then they've they've understood their place, and I liked to see how they moved up through the ranks of that school. And you can imagine, you know, the school system being like that. In that, mm. uh, you know, they weren't allowed into this room, and that was that was the mm. you know the older boys and the prefects' room, and you know. So, so I did, I did like that. I found that, that quite fascinating and I think people will enjoy that. James, it has been absolutely fabulous having you as a guest. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you. And I wish you the best of luck with this book. I think it's going to do really, really well. And I urge you all to go out and buy Reggie and me. Let me know what you think about it. I would love to hear from you and um, send me your messages and I will pass them on to James when you um, encourage him to go and write the sequel. <laughs> I look forward <laughs> to chatting to you again next week when I will have Eileen from Pan Macmillan with me in studio and we will be hearing all about what is new and happening from them. Have a fabulous week, everybody.